Welcome to Talking Materials Handling. In each episode, you'll hear from the thought leaders who are shaping what happens inside the four walls of the distribution center. We'll cover the gamut from automation and robots to software and the next-gen technologies that are enabling the workforce of tomorrow. This podcast is hosted by Bob Troublecock, the executive editor of Modern Materials Handling. Remember that Bob welcomes your comments. Now, to today's episode. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Talking Materials Handling. Interfacing is easy, integration is hard. I'm Bob Troublecock and joining me today is Mark Fralick. Mark is the Chief Technology Officer at the WMS provider Softion. Mark, welcome. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me and having us. Appreciate it. Well, we're glad to have you, and I'm going to warn everybody, there's a little bit of a long wind-up here before we get into this, but I kind of wanted to set the stage. So back in January, I moderated a panel discussion on integration at the Manifest Conference. One of my guests was an executive at a global 3PL who you'd recognize if I you know, um, brought up the guilty. His advice to the audience, and this was integration about robotics, was no matter what they tell you, integration is hard. Now, again, the topic there was robotic integration, but I think that takeaway applies to the integration of automation in general, or so, you know, folks tell me. And that's especially true as we move from point solutions to solutions that try to bring together the end-to-end processes in a DC or try to orchestrate things. In other words, an integrated solution. The question is, why is it hard and does it have to be that way? Now, a caveat. I don't normally have solution providers on as guests, but Mark and I had a really compelling discussion about integration at Promat. And uh, at the previous Modex, I actually saw a demonstration at the Softion booth that really struck, uh, that stuck with me. So I invited Mark on for this episode. Mark, let's get started. First, just a little background. You've been at this for a long time. Give us the short version of your career. Yeah, so thank you, Bob. I've been doing this for just over 30 years, like 33 years, I guess, is is what I'm at. I started back in the old days when there was just a few of us doing WMS stuff and back when WMSs did actually WMSs and, you know, even like PLC work. And and, uh, I'm uh, the creator, uh, the original inventor of the popular Mocha architecture, which is one of the compelling architectures in the WMS space. And I'm always looking for uh, ways to do things better and more efficiently in, um, you know, warehouses. Right. So when you and I were talking about this, uh, to just kind of set the podcast up, one of the things you said to me, and it really stuck with me, was interfacing has gotten easier, but integration has gotten harder. And, and I'd like to explore that first, without talking about easy or hard, what's the difference? So from, from your perspective, what is interfacing and what is integration? Right. Yeah. And, and that's a, that, it's a really provocative statement that, that we put out there, you and I put out there. And interfacing really is the blocking and tackling of the messaging, right? So it's like, hey, you know, what is your message protocol going to look like? And how are you going to send it? How am I going to receive it? And doesn't really talk about like how things are processed, but really talks about how, you know, at the very highest level you interface together, like, you know, at, uh, you know, um, just chat together. Is that the the API then? Yeah, it would be like the API definition, but not the the way the API does the work, right? So yes, that's, that's the distinction. Great. 
And then integration. I mean, I know, you know, we know from the from the word what it's supposed to mean. But in this context, uh, what's integration? Yeah, integration is is uh, where the rubber meets the road. In, and I'm going to use our space because our space is hard compared to a lot of different spaces that have integration problems. It's where the rubber meets the road of of making something work within the context of an operation. And that means not only making it talk, but actually making it flow. And the problem that we have, you know, when people talk about the interfaces um, versus integration is people talk about that interface like it's the big problem, whereas the flow, the what we call microflows in our world, the microflow of getting that machine to work, getting that, getting that robot, getting the PTL, getting the thing to work, in the context of the operation, that's the actual integration problem. So um, let's let, let's break those down. You'll find that I ask a lot of two-part questions. Yeah, no worries. Um, so why is the interfacing easier today? You know, are there better tools? Mm -hmm. you know, what's made it easier? And then second part, why is the integration harder? Yeah, I mean, all you have to do is go out there and do a search for low code or no code integrations. And you'll find that everybody and their brother has gotten into that. Um, and really what they're saying is low code or no code interfaces. And uh, what I always say is those guys have done a great job of making the easiest part of this easier. And that's the okay. interface part. So they can do the, they can do a low code or no code thing that says, and the other thing that's, that's been helpful. Um, so technology is driving that, but the, the protocols and the communications um, um, the ways of communication have, um, have really standardized. So, you know, back in the day, you know, we were doing all kinds of different ways to communicate flat files, you know, um, serial, blah, blah, blah. And now with, with everybody having good Wi-Fi, good internet and that kind of stuff, um, now the messages predominantly are, uh, internet or, you know, um, web-based, uh, integration. So there's not that many different ways to send things. Uh, that way, there's there's more secure and less secure versions of that, um, and then there's there's a couple different choices in terms of the f of the form of the data. But a lot of that has really been codified into a, a way of doing the interface portion of that, um, you know, in a much simpler way. That in combination with those low code, no code guys that are out there, many of them, I, even the BPM tools, the business process tools like Komunda and some of the other, are actually figuring out, figuring out that they can position themselves as an integration framework and make some extra money if they can convince somebody that doing that low code interface portion of that, you know, can buy them something. Um, I want to ask you a question about, you know, warehousing and distribution, which is a big mm -hmm. part of where you guys work. And then yeah. I'm going to follow that up with, with a factory question. So yeah. one of the things I've wondered, given, you know, I, I think back to when we introduced um, shuttle systems, it was like, 2012 or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, all of a sudden, all these new tools came out um, that people were trying to incorporate in their facilities that added complexity. And I wondered, is the integration um, challenge, the fact that we've made warehouses and distribution centers more complex and tried to make more holistic systems as opposed to you know, there's an ASRS over there. You put a pallet in, they send a pallet out. Is is that what has, you know, created the challenges around integration today? Yeah. And I think if you go back to your your um, point about the head of that 3PL saying, hey, don't, don't you know, um, let anybody fool you. Integrations are hard. That's the difference is that 
what's been happening over the last, um, you know, a dozen years or so, right, is there's been more and more uh, new tech hit, hitting the field. And so what happens is if you think about everything, it's just simple point-to-point interfaces, you miss the hard part of this, which is, again, getting the whole integration work and getting the system to flow, getting that, you know, the stuff to flow in and out of that shuttle system. And then, you know, in a way that works extremely well with whatever WMS or whatever execution systems you have in place, that becomes the hard part because, and by the way, there's a step two steps from now after you pick that up and deposit it, that also needs to be handled in the flow of getting stuff to the staging lanes and getting that correct. So it's the bigger process of those flows that that end up being what you, what you're in your example that the head of the distribution was saying, hey, don't let anybody fool you. Integrations are hard. It's that level of integration. All those micro flows flowing together, that's the hard part. And, and Mark, uh, as you were talking, one of the things I wondered is, so I'm going to go back to my ASRS example, right? So ASRS was high, high automation, but it really was a point thing. Again, I put a pallet in, the pallet was kind of static in there until I needed a pallet out, right? Where if I think of a shuttle system or I think of like an OPEX system, those were, you know, they were goods to person picking systems, meaning now I'm now trying to pick an order and I'm trying to synchronize that with what's going on in other parts of the warehouse in order to fill that order, right? Part of it might come out of a shuttle system. Part of it might come out of, you know, case flow rack or something like that. And we were trying to make these things, you know, flow from one area to the other versus pallet comes in, a pallet comes out and somebody picks it up. You know, is it is it that level of picking because we're tying it to order fulfill or that level of automation because we're tying it to order fulfillment that has made like orchestrating this stuff all tougher. Yeah. And I, I think you're exactly right. So if you think about like a problem of a warehouse, it's, 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 it's a bunch of asynchronous microflows going on simultaneously that you, you know, while you're doing them, they need to be independent, but they need to be part of a, a larger flow in the facility. So you're pointing that out directly. Now what's, what's happened is, some of the some of the WMS vendors, including us, have have looked at that and said, "Look, you know, we need a higher level coordinator. You know, more like a WES, a warehouse execution system, but at a little higher level that can start to coordinate those things and and really get the flows going back and forth and and optimize that and and leverage in to the fact that you know, hey, we got a bunch of stuff going on." Um, you know, in this area, we've got a bunch of stuff going on in this area. We want to balance those to make sure the flow goes, because as you know, in a WMS, speed is not as important as flow. And so, you know, you could pick, you know, pick crazy in one area and then have the stuff pile up waiting for that, that stuff to get staged to go to the next hop. That doesn't do anybody any good. So you're right. It's a combination of the synchronization of all those, all those microflows, right? And then getting that integration across the, the, you know, those different elements, getting the different, uh, the, the, the um, shuttle system to maybe a, you know, a um, AMR to move it or, or whatever has to happen next. Uh, I, I'm glad you actually used up used that example of speed. Um, it's one I use all the time. I, I did a presentation at an event on Monday. And one of the things I talked about is that like picking engines have gotten incredibly fast but packing is still pretty manual and slow. And the analogy I always use, it's like taking your kid to school in a Maserati, right? If you're out on the highway, the Maserati can go 200 miles an hour. But if you're taking your kid to school, you're only going 20 miles an hour. It doesn't matter 
you know, how fast the car can go because you're going to hit, you know, a bottleneck. The bottleneck is the 20 miles per hour and parents dropping their kids off and whatever. And the same thing in the, you know, as you pointed out in the DC, which is you can pick and move stuff along really fast, but if it gets to packing and, you know, packing can't keep up or you pick really fast from the mini load or the, the uh, shuttle system, but what they're picking, you know, to a cart is slow. Um, you're still not going to, you know, get all that much more speed out of it. Um, so here's the question that's always vexed me. The factory floor has been really highly automated for years and they seem to pull it off. And what I, what I wonder is on, on the integration side, is it the fact, you know, why can't we pull it off the way the factory floor is? And is it also the fact that what happens on the factory floor is predictable and repeatable? You know, you're doing the same process over and over again, where, you know, order for fulfillment in a warehouse, you never know what you're going to pick and where you're going to pick it from and where it's going to go. It, it, is that complexity part of the issue here as well? Yeah, I think that's a really good observation. I mean, having done a number of factory flow, we call those MES, so, you know, MES systems in my history, the main thing is their universe is much smaller, right? Um, in a, especially in a, you know, a very automated facility, the microflows really have to do with like the flows in and out of the production equipment. That stuff changes on a decade by decade basis, not often, but even like when, when you're doing a changeover, what's called a changeover in that situation where you're changing from one, producing one thing to another, that's the equipment isn't changing, just the inventory that gets out there is changing, right? And so none of the flows change. Like in our world, you know, we have rapidly changing situations with labor availability, which, you know, there's still a lot of labor out there on the floors. Order profiles can change seasonally, right? And it can, can actually just change for a few weeks in a year, and that mass that can have massive massive impacts on your higher level flows and the pressure on any particular area, you know that we have to automate. So, I mean, you know, but you know, I think the question about that is, you know, historically, you're right. That's that's been the big difference, and that's been the deficiencies in terms of, or not the deficiencies, but more like the difficulties that we have getting our stuff to in the warehouse space to be as, you know, seamless as, you know, in those MES, um, you know, production sites. Um, I want to ask you one more foundational question, and then we can talk a little bit about how you're doing it differently at Softion. So um, I, I kind of got a chuckle when you and I were talking at Promat. Um, I mentioned that, boy, I remember back in the day, people were, I think the term was microservices, but the idea was, you could create this library of workflows, um, you know, that you could just pull off the shelf or digital shelf anyway, and plug in, you know, from one client to the next, and that we would have what we were calling the supply chain execution platform back then. And I remember you kind of chuckling and say, I can't remember if it was Manhattan or Red Prairie, but that you worked at one of the two during that time. And what I wondered is, you know, in that scenario, integration would appear to be easy but it didn't, we didn't seem to pull it off. So, you know, what, what happened there, but then how did it set the stage for what we're trying to do today? Yeah, I think that's a great, that's a really good question. And um, that was, I was part of that over back in the Red Prairie days um, and ran that, that um, all of that group over there. I would say yeah. that, that this is to me and looking back on it, I think that this is a matter of being 
all in on the idea or not. And I think what happens is that you, okay, so you get a bunch of workflows and you say, okay, hey, run with these workflows. And, and um, they're sort of like on the shelf, run with this workflow. And inevitably somebody comes back and says, well, wait a second, that workflow gets us 90% of the way there. And then we want to do our own um, sort of version of that operation. And, and then the folks in support and all the rest of them say, well, we don't know how to support that. And so it becomes an, uh, a situation where if you're not all in on that, you're hemming people in. And if you're hemming people in, they won't take advantage of it. And I think so the problem is that I just don't think that, that we back then or they now are really fully committed to that. And if you think about the biggest single trend in, in the market right now and overall the IT market, but also in this space, it's this idea of composable systems. So that composable speaks to the next generation of that um, and, you know, and composability and what we think composability not only means, hey, having those things so that everybody can use them, but also the extensible part of that to say, hey, and if you want to take it that extra step to go this slightly different direction because you got this other piece of auto automation equipment, you got to be able to do that. Otherwise, the brakes go on and nobody's going to use those and reuse those. They're just going to be up on the shelf you know, and gather dust because no one's, no one's going to take it anywhere because it doesn't solve the end-to-end -end problem. And I think that's where we've spent a lot of time on SoftEnd with our Luca platform so that we can really do that. And I think some of the other folks may or may not follow suit on that. Um, so let's talk about that for a moment. And, you know, and I want to preface it with a caveat that, you know, this isn't sponsored. This isn't supposed to be a pitch for SoftEnd. However, as I mentioned at the start, I'm pretty sure it was Modex um, that uh, your colleague, uh, Dan Gilmore, invited me over and said, hey, I want to show you you know, a presentation of, of what we're doing. And in your booth um, at that event, um, he was showing off the way you're integrating and they had, you know, a robot there doing, you know, robot to person picking and they had uh, picked a light um, and they had some other things. So essentially he was integrating multiple different types of, you know, picking strategies from highly automated to, you know, traditional, conventional, manual, and they were all working together. And I remember leaving that particular event thinking, that's something very different from what I've seen, um, you know, at other WMS vendors. I'm not picking on anybody again. I just, I found it, you know, pretty interesting. Um, and then you guys were showing me, you know, kind of your vision for the platform that you just uh, mentioned. So, Let's just talk about that, because, again, I thought it was compelling. I thought it was different and it went to this integration issue. So walk us through how you view integration and how you're approaching it. Yeah, I think that um, if you think about this, what 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 the the way the historical and keep in mind that I've been around through various generations of these WMSs throughout the years <clears throat> and actually architected, you know, one of the main ones that's been around. I think what happens is, think about the way that WMS likes to think about things. The WMS likes to think about the world above them, ERP and that kind of stuff, and the world below them, which is WES and WCS stuff. So, you know, warehouse execution and warehouse control stuff. What if your WMS actually had a WES sort of mindset to it instead of having that underneath it? If you have it underneath it, and what, you know, and, and this is the main way a lot of the folks 
you know, think about things. Your view of the world is what's on, you know, the W, let's say you have a WES underneath your WMS. If you have the WES underneath your WMS, and there's other, you know, um, ways to approach this, but um, if you have that WES underneath your, all it can see and make judgments on is what's below it. So it can see the material handling equipment, pressure on on a picking device and that kind of stuff. And so what you were seeing with our, with, with our approach is having the WES above, above or intermixed with the WMS and also at that lower level of coordinating gives you a broader view and a, an ability to pull in human um, picking for, with machine picking, you know, coordinate the, the put to light with the, with the picking and the robot flows, right? Because it's not just downward looking, it's across the whole facility. And the advantage that we have with our new Luca platform is, um, and I'll just go into what the, the WMS is really kind of operate in two different two different main goals. One of them is purely communication down to the WCS layer, down to the, the constituent devices of robots and material handling equipment and et cetera. The other one is a orchestration layer that allows you to orchestrate between those things. Again, it's still downward looking. So now if you take our orchestration up a level and say we can have a broader view, but then we have our LUCA elements to, to do all the um, communication, we've kind of broken up the WES into an orchestration layer and then separated that from the communication layer. And Mark, let me ask you a real quick question before you go on. So in that original version that you were talking about where the WMS is looking down, is that essentially the WMS is focusing on the M, you know, the management in WMS and the WES or WC, you know, WCS is turning the conveyor on, turning it off. The WES is kind of synchronizing things. And the WMS plays a management role in that first scenario that you described. Yeah, exactly. It's it's at the management role, but uh, it's it's divvying out the the lower level coordination to to the WES or actually just down to the WCS potentially, right? To do that, and yes, exactly. Now, in the world that you're describing as you're approaching it, the WMS, the WES. Um, is a component um, or is just built into what you're trying to do, correct? Yeah, and if you think about the two, two um, responsibilities of a WES, it's orchestration on one end and it's, it's integration for a typical WES, right? right? So we've said is the orchestration can be at whatever levels we need it to be and the integration is taken care of separately by the LUCA framework in our world. Got it, okay. And then, so... Um, you guys have this, you know, this, unfortunately, we don't have video. You guys have this graphic image that looks almost like, you know, trying to get through Los Angeles traffic, right? With all the different, um, you know, with all the different layers of highways and things. Uh, but can you explain like sort of how that works? Thank you. Uh, yeah, what we've done is sort of, we thought about this as like conceptually, I actually think about it this way in my mind as a high speed data racetrack. Where, you know, really what you want to be doing is having, um, in order to have all these things coordinate together, they all have to have the ability to contribute data, you know, and contribute what they're doing into the greater mix of things. And so, and then have, have that be available to planning elements, to AI elements, to, in our case, our WES, to make decisions about, hey, you know, as we can, as we see the, 
you know, AMR completing things, we can, we can release more things and, you know, we can do things at a higher level. And so what that allows us to do is think about things, um, all that, all that data coming at us in whatever form the, each of those, each of those contributors wants to send it to, um, our data racetrack will normalize all that and make that available to whomever it is that needs it, an AI scheduling system or resource planning or an execution system or, you know, some way to change the prioritization. Um, so we think that, again, in, in order to have the full flow, again, this is not about speed in a facility, it's about flow. Um, what we're trying to do is say, optimize the way we get the data in the way each element needs to receive it in the fastest way possible so it can contribute back into the flow and get the flow moving as quickly as possible. So it's, it's a, it basically allows us to create a continuum of data. And I know it's a weird concept, but um, you know we've been at this architecture business for a long time in the WMS space, and we feel like all these point-to-point -point end interfaces and dead-end interfaces going in different directions doesn't give you that flow, doesn't give us the flow to solve the integration problem there's, they solve that interface problem, but that's the easy part. To solve the integration problem, you need a better flow of data. And that's that's where we've been trying to uh, do the work. Um, one, perhaps, no, two, two last questions, two quick questions. I want to be um, respectful of the time here. Two quick questions. One is there are some um, systems I've talked to who can also you know, kind of rebalance the facility, you know, they're looking at the flow through the facility and looking at like say pack stations. And they know that pack station number one has a whole lot of stuff backed up. So pack station number two is kind of, you know, underutilized or the person inducting at this station, you know, has got time and the person at that station. So they're essentially pulling things through the facility. Are, are, when, as, as you're explaining this, does it also allow you to balance the workload uh, through the facility. Yeah, I would say that, um, yes, absolutely. I think that, again, if you look at the two roles of a WES, um, many of them just use it for, you know, interfacing to things, but, yeah. but the people that you're talking about that do that have do what you describe. That's the WES orchestration part. So that's the, Hey, I can see the pack stations and I can see that this pack station has less work than this. So it's balancing it again. I think that's a good, that's a good use of the, you know, w, WMS and the WES sitting underneath it, monitoring the pack stations. And that's certainly something that we do too. But again, I think that if you look at the visibility that that WES has, it's just downwardly facing, right? It can see the pack stations and stuff. It can't see the fact that there's 26 new orders going to hit us in the next 15 minutes because it only is looking downward. It can't see that. So I think the next level of, of uh, integration abilities that you're going to see as a, as a bubbling that up to say, look, we have to look at projections and say, look, we might just leave those pack stations the way they are because we know in the next five minutes, 26 things are going to hit us and no, no sense shifting things around knowing that we're going to get these 26 orders coming through and we're going to rebalance it then. So I think that's the differentiation that we're seeing is like, if you can move that orchestration up a little in the, in the flow, I think you get a, in, in the flow of, of, of data, you sort of, you know, in the vast majority of things that the WMS is doing, looking at things, you can actually get the data or get the facility flowing better uh, in the long run. Mark, one, one last, uh, one last quick question. 
Uh, and it's this, are we at the point now, do we have the capabilities now to where, you know, instead of sort of point solutions where we can integrate these things to create new sort of holistic solutions, you know, utilizing multiple technologies. Um, a real quick example, um, CJ Logistics in Texas. Now, this is not the kind of material handling stuff you and I see, but they've created a process where an autonomous lift truck takes pallets from the receiving dock, deposits them at a manual mixed pallet build station where mixed palletizing is driven by voice. And then when the pallet is built, an autonomous pallet jack picks it up and delivers it either to somewhere else in the facility for put away or to the shipping dock. So they've created a, you know, a process from receiving to shipping with a lot of automation, you know, that, that happens automatically and integration was a challenge there. Are we at that point, you know, down on the warehouse floor, you know, in picking operations and things where we can now bring all these multiple technologies together? Yeah, I think that that's the dream of the composable frameworks, right? And I think okay. <laughs> the the whole notion behind a composability framework, um, and I, I think a number of the vendors out there have said that they've got some variation of that of microservice, a microservice framework, or a you know composable architecture or something like that, is is about weaving that together in a way that makes the flow work better, faster, easier. To your point. Um, you know, I was in that facility and, and that's a cool situation, it, but it happens every day in situations where people don't realize, for instance, you, you get an auto flow or so auto store, um, device and you still have to get totes in and out of there. So you're, you not only have the auto store, but you have some kind of WCS that you're talking to, to get the totes in and out of there. And so getting those flows together with all the disparate technology, you know, you were at Promat and here you have all of that technology screaming, trying to get to the floor and, and, and frankly being stymied a bit by the fact that integrations take too much time and, and, you know, are just too, too risky in some cases, whatever. I, I think that the composability frameworks that people are talking about theoretically will get them there. The, the, the caveat that I have is that, look, we tried this before, to your point about stuff getting shelved, you have to be all in on this because you can't say, well, our thing will work to, with our palletizer, but our composability framework won't with their palletizer or will work with our cartonization, not with their version of cartonization. Again, it's going to be, the dream of that will depend on how much people, vendors out there, um, really lean into this composability, or if they're just if it's just a buzzword for them to you know say yeah we we got that too. I, I think that's the question. I think uh, that I always ask, and I think that I think you're implicitly asking is hey how do we get there? And it's it's if 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 we can get there with these composability frameworks, I know that we believe in a very open composability framework um, that can participate in in all kinds of different systems, all kinds of different vendors. And if people do that, I think we can, we can, our customers, overall, the supply chain vendors out there, our customers will be the uh, benefactors of that. And, and you just described the number one gripe that I hear from people, which is that, yeah, but theirs won't talk to, you know, to this one because they want to control it. Anyway, yeah, exactly. uh, Mark, thank you. That's all the time we have today. I uh, once again want to thank Mark Freilich of Softyuan for uh, joining me. I hope you'll be back for our next episode. Until then, for Modern Materials Handling and Talking Materials Handling, I'm Bob Troublecock. And remember, interfacing is easy. 
integration is hard. Thanks, everyone. Talking Materials Handling is produced by Modern Materials Handling and Peerless Media. You can find Talking Materials Handling on MMH.com, on iTunes under SC247, or just Google SC247 Podcasts. We're on all the popular podcast platforms. For more information, be sure to visit MMH.com, and we hope you'll join us again for our next episode.